start making your way to Ephesians chapter 3. It's been a couple weeks since we've been in Ephesians. We took a two-week break as we looked at Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And so just a moment, I want to remind us where we've been. We're in a series called Union with Christ. And we're walking our way through Ephesians, primarily chapters one through three right now. And we're looking at all those in Christ phrases in Ephesians chapters one through three. And we're learning about what it means for us to be in Christ. So today we're in Ephesians chapter three, verses seven through 13, but it's a continued thought. It's a continued point that Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is making. And so three weeks ago, we told you, Pastor Todd taught us, that verses one through six teach us about this divine surprise, something that God is revealing to us. And we learned three weeks ago that the first aspect of this divine surprise is a united church for Jews and Gentiles to be one, uh, co-members of the same body. Those that were former enemies, are now brothers and sisters, united together as the body of Christ, the church. That's what the church is. Those from different backgrounds, different uh, economic backgrounds, different, so many differences, all united under the banner of Jesus Christ. That's what we learned three weeks ago. Today, Paul is continuing that thought of the divine surprise And he's going to teach us a little bit more about that. Today we will see that we are not only a united church, but we have an blank. My goal for the next few minutes is to build a little bit of anticipation for you to help you get excited about this surprise. What is it? Not only are we a united church, but we have what? I can't wait. Travis, please tell me. And I'm doing that because I believe that's what the text does for us as well. Paul starts in chapter or verse 7, and he kind of gives you hints. He tells you a little bit about this amazing surprise. This a little bit of uh, this a gift. And he's going to build anticipation as he walks us through verses 7 through. And I'm not going to tell you where the surprise is. But for the next few moments while I teach, try to guess. In youth ministry, we'd give kids notes with blanks, give them something to do while I chat. So you can do that, and you can think and brainstorm and think through what do you think the surprise is that Paul's going to share with you. So let me build a little bit of anticipation, because I believe anticipation many times makes surprises greater. If you have a birthday coming up, and you wait for that birthday to open up the presents, or it's Christmas, the anticipation makes the day so much more great. So just for a few moments... Let me build anticipation and you wait while I reveal it. And that's exactly what Paul will do as he outlines for us verses 7 through 13. So let me read it as a section. Let me read it as a paragraph. Just listen to the flow of the text and try to see where Paul will be taking us in this paragraph. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 7 through 13 say this. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things." 
so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Today, before I reveal our divine secret, I wanna show you, and our text shows us, three staggering truths about this divine secret. So I'll walk you through these, and then we'll reveal the secret. So the first thing that Paul tells us about this surprise before he reveals it is that this divine surprise is, number one, incomparably priceless. Did you see it in verse eight? The ESV says, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. See that word unsearchable? Whatever translation you have, it might say something different. But in the ESV, that word unsearchable is a made up word. Paul, as he's thinking through the glories of Christ, the riches of Christ, there's no adequate Greek word to describe the riches of Christ. So he makes up a word. That word is only found in biblical Greek, not in common day Greek at all. So they conclude that it must be made up. So when Paul thinks about the incredible riches of Christ, he had to make up a word. If you have the CSB translation in your lap, it says incalculable. If you have the NIV in your lap, it says boundless. And the New American Standard says unfathomable. So even the English translation is grasping for a word that would describe the riches of Christ, his beauty, his wonder, and his splendor. And so we have a few words that get close. So hopefully you'll be able to get that idea in your head, but maybe let me help you a little bit. See, this phrase, unsearchable riches, it teaches us some things. Even though we don't have the perfect word, it teaches us a couple things about this gift. Number one, it teaches us about the source, like who has these riches, and it's Christ. This gift, this divine surprise comes from the unbelievable wealth of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is unbelievably wealthy. He owns all things. Imagine this just for a second. Imagine your doorbell rings or you get a knock on the door and standing at your front door is Elon Musk. Can you imagine that? It's probably happened a few times, right? Elon Musk, the inventor of Tesla, SpaceX, he's at your door and he's got a gift for you and it's shaped like a Tesla, I don't know. He has a gift for you, okay? Just imagine this. And so you're like, wait, what? Elon Musk has a gift for me? So in your head, you're thinking through, what could this gift be? So I have a question for you. In your head, during this situation, what kind of value would you think that gift would have? Like in your head, you're brainstorming. You haven't opened the gift yet. In your head, you're brainstorming. How many zeros are in the value of that gift, right? So Elon Musk comes to your door. Is that a $10 gift? Does that make sense? No, probably a $100 gift. No, maybe it's a $1,000 gift, a $10,000 gift. And, and you base that upon what? Elon Musk's wealth. 
What is he capable of? If I were to show up to your door with a gift, <laughs> you laugh because you know exactly the type of value it would have. Probably a $5 Starbucks gift card based upon my wealth. And so you kind of get the idea here. And this is how Paul describes the gift we have been given from Christ. This gift comes from someone who has inexhaustible wealth. Elon Musk, there's a dollar limit somewhere out there that will exhaust him. There is no dollar amount that would exhaust Christ's wealth. You see, the one who can give you anything has given you something. Let that just blow your mind for a moment. Literally can give you anything, and he's given you something. That's what Paul's telling us. Not only does that word teach us about the value of the one who has it, but it teaches us the value of the gift as well. This gift has unfathomable wealth. It, here's a good way to understand it. This gift is priceless. The gift he's gonna give you is priceless or it is irreplaceable. Do you have anything that is irreplaceable? Think about that word. What does that word mean? Do you own anything that is irreplaceable? Imagine you were given something and then you lost it and you tried to replace it. How would you replace something that is incomparably priceless? Maybe it's your engagement ring or something with great sentimental value, right? See, here's the point. There are certain things that are just irreplaceable. They are priceless. That's this gift. The gift we're gonna reveal in just a few moments is one of a kind, irreplaceable, priceless. This is how Paul's describing this divine surprise as irreplaceable or priceless. See, not only is this gift, Paul tells us, incomparably priceless, but in verses nine and 11, he teaches us that it is eternally planned. This gift that is being revealed has been eternally planned. Look at verse nine. In verse nine, he tells us that it was a mystery hidden for ages. That's how he describes this gift, this mystery, this surprise, hidden for ages. And in verse 11, he says, it was God's eternal purpose, his eternal purpose. As Pastor Todd told us three weeks ago, this divine surprise has always been God's plan A. Always been God's plan A. The church, what is happening right now across the world is not plan B. It's not a different outcome that he expect, than he expected. Ephesians 3 tells us over and over again that this surprise, it's news to us, but it's not news to him. It was a mystery hidden for ages. He knew all about it. It's happening exactly as he planned. This surprise has been eternally planned. So because here's the truth about plan Bs. Plan Bs are less great than plan As, aren't they? Always. Plan A is how it should have gone. Plan B is how it has to go now. This divine surprise is not and has never been plan B. It has always been the plan since the beginning. Let me prove it to you. 
Remember the predestination part we talked about probably months ago? Look at Ephesians chapter one, verse four. Let me, let me show you this. Ephesians chapter one, verse four says this. Even as he chose us in him, when? Before the foundation of the world, eternally planned. Before Adam and Eve were placed in the garden, he chose you. Before Adam and Eve feet touched the ground, before they had breath in their lungs, he chose me. But now we see with more clarity that this means and has always meant the church. Ephesians 1.4 teaches us that he chose us, Gentiles who lived 2,000 years past the cross, he chose you to be his son, to be his daughter. Isn't that beautiful? The formation of the church after Christ's resurrection and ascension has always been plan A. So not only is this gift incomparably priceless, not only is this gift eternally planned, but this gift is astoundingly profound. Look at verse 10, astoundingly profound. Verse 10 says this, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What a Awesome and complex verse. I've studied more on this verse, I think, than the rest of the passage. Just such a beautiful text. But what it teaches us is that this gift is astoundingly profound. Astoundingly profound describes what? God's wisdom. And our text describes God's wisdom as manifold. If you have ESV, it says manifold. Do you guys know what the word manifold means? I sure didn't. So I had to look it up, had to look up what does this word mean? And if you have the CSB, it uses the word multifaceted. I know what that means. So the, the Greek word means multifaceted or manifold. That is something that has many sides, something that is complicated, complex, or brilliant. God's wisdom is multifaceted, complicated, complex, or brilliant, or something you could stare at for ages, something you could study or dissect forever. God's mind is literally mind-blowing. When I tried to come up with something similar to that in my own life, I think of space. I don't know what comes to your mind is mind-blowing, complex, and complicated but I think of space. You see, we will never fully grasp the wonder of space. We can literally study it forever and we'll continue to be amazed by it. Even as technology advances, we'll never be able to get to its end. We'll always be able to study it. So this is true for the wisdom of God. We'll never fully understand God's brilliance, his wisdom. So this mystery that we'll reveal in just a second is astoundingly profound. And then look at the end of verse 10. This is a piece that I think is so interesting. Notice what it says. It says, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities. Where are these rulers and authorities? In the heavenly places. What does that mean? I believe that this text teaches us that even the angels and the spiritual beings, you see the created ones that aren't human, 
They are hearing this good news. They're learning about this divine mystery. And maybe they're even seeing this good news play out here on earth and they're astounded by it. Can you imagine that just for a second? Can you imagine the angels being amazed at God's wisdom by what's happening here on earth? That's what this verse describes. Many commentaries, this is interesting, many commentaries even believe that this includes Satan and his fallen angels. That the whole spirit world, they don't fully understand the mind of God or his brilliance. And so as close as angels are to God, as long as they've been in existence, as long as they've watched and seen and know God, they, the angels, continue to learn and see his brilliance. Let that sink into your mind just for a second. The angels are still like, no way. Whoa, God, that's brilliant. You're amazing. And they've been around since they were created. This is good news that I'm about to share with you. God is brilliant. And even better, don't miss this in verse 10. Verse 10 says that it's the church. It's the church that declares this to the spiritual beings, the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So get this, what is happening in the church across the world, God saving people, uniting them into his body, this, what is happening right now across the world, this is blowing the minds of the spiritual world. It's teaching them the brilliance of God. It is fascinating them, even though they have been around forever. Let me, I had a conversation with one of my children this past week. I was in the car line. You all know what I mean by car line. You just wait. So we're having some great conversations. And one of my children asked me this week, Dad, will heaven be boring? It's a good question, isn't it? At her age, she cannot comprehend what we will do for all of eternity. So it's like, man, I don't know. That's a long time. I get bored watching a movie. Like, I don't know if eternity is going to be interesting. Can you at your age, can you comprehend that? I'm not sure I can, what we'll do for all of eternity. But I know the answer to the question. You do too. Is heaven going to be boring? What's the answer? No. Heaven will not be boring No, heaven will not be born at all. See, I believe that for all of eternity, we will continue to learn the brilliance of God. Just as the angels are astounded, just as the spirit world is blown away by the wisdom of God, so we will continue to be amazed at the brilliance of God. You know the old hymn, Amazing Grace. There's a hint, a verse in Amazing Grace that goes like this. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. That hymn writer is saying that, think about this. If all we were to do in heaven, just one thing, just sing. We're in heaven And all we do is one thing, is sing. We could sing about God's wonder for 10,000 years, and it'll feel like that. There's so much to sing about. He is so worthy of our singing that 10,000 years will go 
like that. He is worthy of 10,000 years of singing. And I don't personally believe that all we will do is sing. So compound upon that, all the amazing things we'll be able to do in heaven, it's gonna take an eternity. You see, worshiping God takes an eternity. He's worthy of it. Seeing God's brilliance will take an eternity for us to learn about his brilliance. It's gonna take literally forever. Being amazed by God's wisdom, it's gonna take an eternity. And that list could go on and on and on what it's gonna take an eternity for us to experience. Are we gonna be bored? No, I think our jaw's gonna be on the floor for an eternity. Like, oh, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. That is what this section uh, Paul is writing for us, is teaching us. You see, the spirit realm is in awe. We're in awe. The Jews are in awe. What I'm about to reveal to you is jaw dropping. Are you ready? Okay, time to reveal the divine surprise. Did I build up some anticipation? Have you guessed it yet? Let's see if you did. So let's reveal the second aspect of the divine surprise. Week one, we learned that the divine surprise was a united church. Today, we learned that the divine surprise is an accessible God. God is accessible. That is amazing. That's the surprise. We have access to the holy God of the universe. That is the surprise that is incomparably priceless, eternally planned and astoundingly profound that you and I, Gentiles, have access to the holy God of the universe. Does that blow your mind? I sure hope so. It's supposed to. It should. And let me show you where this is found. It's all found in verse 12. Verse 12 is the key verse to this paragraph. And it says this, in whom we have, what do we have? Boldness access with confidence. That's the surprise, guys, that you and I, the church, Jews and Gentiles have access to God through our faith in him. This is the secret that is universally mind-blowing, that no human or angelic mind could have ever guessed. This is the secret that blew the Jewish people's mind. This is the secret that blew the Gentile people's minds. And this is, I hope, is blowing your minds this morning, that God loves you, that God sent his son for you, that God would call us his sons and his daughters. That is the best news in the universe. And I pray that this truth blows your mind, astounds you and causes you to worship. Now that we know the secret, Let's go back and look at the text and just summarize it. Let's put verses 7 through 13 into one run-on sentence, if that's okay. So I wrote it this way. I put it this way. Paul, chosen by the grace of God to share this divine surprise with the Gentile, Gentiles. And what is this surprise? That they have the same access to God the Father, the maker of heaven and earth, as the Jews, who were the people of God, have had for thousands of years. Think it, let that sink in. Can you imagine that news to this Jew-Gentile world, this divide that was happening during this time? Paul shows up and says, I have earth-shaking news. The Gentiles are in. 
Jews and Gentiles are completely equal. Christ died for you all. That would have shattered the earth. He then ends by telling this church in verse 13, do not worry about him because his suffering is only accomplishing the mission of getting this divine secret to the ends of the world. Don't jail. Don't worry about me in jail. I'm sharing the gospel with my guards. Like, this is great. I'm fine. Don't worry about me. So just for a moment, let's think. Because 21st century Christians in Ankeny, Iowa, maybe that news isn't so earth-shaking to you. Maybe for many of us, it's hard to see this as such a mystery because we have the whole story now. We've been told it since we were born. We kind of get it. So why, so how would, this, how, how would this have been common for them to believe that the Gentiles would have always been outsiders and Jews would have always been insiders? Like, why would this news have been so earth-shaking? I want to show you a picture. And I think this picture summarizes for many the history of the nation of Israel. It's a picture of the temple. And you can see some descriptions of the, of the court there. Look at this picture and let me share with you probably what Gentiles thought, okay? Gentiles most likely assumed, they did assume, that they were outsiders looking inside on a relationship God had with a certain group of people. So a certain group of people had access, others did not have access. And th so that would have been true of when they thought of the temple. The temple represented the presence of God. The Jews' history is many times labeled by their access to God. They had the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire they would follow. They had the tabernacle. They had the first temple, the destruction of the first temple, and then they had the sec second temple period. It is fair to say that Israel was always known for one thing, access to Yahweh. That's what they were known worldwide. And this temple was for them. It was in their camp, in their city, Jerusalem. So the world would have looked, on, looked in and said, well, they get God, they get the temple. They have the Holy of Holies. Man, they, they have access, we, we don't. You see the court of the Gentiles, you see the women's court. Like they all would have been outsiders looking in. Not only did the Jews have the temple, they had the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant represented the promises of God or reminded them that God was a promise keeper. Quick trivia question for you. Don't raise your hand. But what were the three items inside the Ark of the Covenant? Only those true Awana Timothy Award winners would know that one. So the three items inside the Ark of the Covenant were the golden urn of manna, the Aaron's staff that budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. You see, whoever had the Ark of the Covenant had a reminder that God was a promise maker and promise keeper. The Jews had the Ark of the Covenant. Literally, covenant means promises. The, the Jews had the promises of God. They were the holder of the promises of God. And the Gentile nations wanted it. This is much of the Old Testament. And where was the, the Ark of the Covenant? It was inside the Holy of Holies in the temple, in the, in the holy place, um, for the Jews only. And what would happen when a Gentile nation would steal it? Did it go well for the Gentile nation? No. They would be cursed and many would die. 
You see, the owning of the Ark of the Covenant showed who the insiders were and who had the promises of God. The Jews knew God was a promise maker and promise keeper to them. And the Gentile nations looked in with jealousy. The third thing they had, they didn't only have the temple and the Ark of the Covenant, they had the promised land. And the promised land represented the people of God. God's promise to the people of God of a place where he would be their king. The promised land was a kingdom with a king. They had a, they had a king and they had a people. God was the king, the Jews were the people. The promised land was a special place for those who had a special relationship with him. You remember the first thing in the book of Joshua? The first thing the Israelites had to do when they entered the promised land? They had to get rid of all those who worshiped other gods. They literally had to get rid of the Gentiles. This is for us. This is ours. You're not welcome. You've got to go. So isn't it easy to see why this divine secret that was hidden for ages would have blown the minds of the world and even the minds of the spiritual realm? This didn't seem to make sense. It didn't seem logical that now Gentiles had access. But what Paul teaches us in Ephesians 3 is that this secret, it was a mystery hidden. God's eternal purposed plan was the Gentiles are in that they have access. So what Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is teaching us is that the church is not only a united people, but is now a reunited people with the Father. Jews and Gentiles in union with the Father. Get this, no more wall, no more veil, no more distance, but rather access. No longer outsiders looking in, that is amazing news that you and I would have access to God. But how? How do we get access to God? Is it just open to all? Everyone gets access to God? All are in? That's not what verse 12 says, does it? Verse 12 teaches us that the, the key to access to God, literally think of a key, Access. There's a key to getting access to God. It says this, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. That's the key. Christ is the key to access to the Father. The key to the approachable God is in Christ, in him. Access to the Father is only made possible through Christ. Jesus Christ truly is the gate. He truly is the way. He truly is the life. The only access to the Father. And specifically, verse 12 teaches us that it's faith in him. And please don't miss that. Faith in him. That's the gospel. Faith in Christ saves. It's not your heritage it's not your ancestry. It's not your location. It's not even your obedience, church. What gets you access to the Father is faith in Christ. It's that simple and that confusing, right? It's that simple. Believe in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll be saved. And the outside world that has not put their faith in Christ yet says, that can't be it. What do I gotta do? 
Tell me, how much do I give? Where do I go? What do I need to memorize? Give me a list. No list. Faith in Christ saves. That's the gospel. Faith in Christ. Let me uh, summarize our text by taking you to one other passage. Can I do that? There's one passage in scripture that I just think so profoundly describes for us access. Turn to John chapter four, if you will. Many of you know it. John chapter four is the story of the woman at the well. And I can think of no better story that displays for you a picture of someone with no access who's given complete access than the woman at the well. Don't miss this. Here, at the woman of the well is a person who had a lot going against her. She had a lot of reasons why she would assume she would never have access to God, that the Messiah would never come for her, that she'd never get to worship in the Holy of Holies. She'd never have that kind of access, right? First of all, she was a woman in a time period that considered them less than. She was a Samaritan, not a Jew, and she was a sinner. So the woman at the well comes to God with her resume. And what does she think? Disqualified, rejected, go apply somewhere else. You didn't make it in. But yet who comes to her at the noon hour at the well? The Messiah. By all logical understanding, this woman had no chance of ever getting access to the Father. Yet Christ approaches her and declares her a daughter of the King through her faith in him. That's a quick summary of John chapter four. Church, listen to John chapter four, verse 39. It says this, many, who? Samaritans, outsiders. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. That is amazing. She believes, she gets access. She runs back to her town and says, guess what? We all have access. We're not outsiders. We've been invited in. We have the key. It's Christ. It's the Messiah. He's at the well. Come. He'll tell you everything about you. It's terrifying and it's really good news. Church, I have good news for you. You have access to God. Access has been granted. You have that same access to God. But today, I believe many people feel just like the woman at the well. Are there things in your life or your past that make you think that God would never accept you? Do you feel that? Then look to the woman's response. She believes. She believes and gains access. If she can have access to the Father through faith in Christ, guess what? So can you, and so can I. If the woman at the well can get in, so can I. Here's our take-home truth. Let me just summarize it for you in in a phrase, in a sentence. The reunion between God and mankind through Christ is the greatest news in the entire universe, the gospel. And it's the church's privilege to proclaim. Church, for those of you who do believe already, it's your job to proclaim this to the world. It's your privilege 
to proclaim this to the world. If you're still in Ephesians chapter three, look at the last verse, look at verse 13. Paul says, don't worry about me in prison because it's proclaiming this secret to the world. Don't worry about prison. The, the good news, the mystery is getting out. Do you view suffering the same way? A, a suffering? Don't, don't, don't worry about my suffering. A little inconvenience, a little hardship. Don't worry about that. People are getting saved. This is the greatest news in the universe that's blowing the angels' minds. Yeah, I'm going to share it. I'm going to tell the world about it. So church, today, some of you need to believe the great news. And for the rest of us, we need to be reminded of the great news and then proclaim this great news. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.